podcasts on this Monday evening. We're back to Mondays after a very uh, weird Sunday thing that went on last week. But uh, uh, it wasn't even last week. It was the week before. We're doing these by 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 monthly now, I think. Bi-monthly? Yes, Matt. We are indeed doing it bi-monthly. Bi-monthly. We've been doing bi-monthly for about six months. Just yeah. out there. Uh, I'm getting old, man. What can I say? I'm getting old. All right, I'm old. <laughs> I can remember more than you. Yeah, well, yeah. My memory is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, anyway, uh, with me tonight, we have my co-host, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And back again special guest jonathan green hello so jonathan for those who have been living under a rock or who didn't listen to the podcast last time who are you what do you do what's your thing so my name is jonathan green and i am a freelance writer but i'm best known these days for writing adventure game books which is ironically what i started out doing 30 years ago so my first fighting fantasy game book was published in june 1993 and I've just had another game book published, um, and I've lost count. I think it's like number 24 or something, but I, I, I've done tie-in fiction. So this one actually is a game book that ties into a, a well-known brand, as we'll discuss later on. And I write histories of fighting fantasy game books. I've written steampunk novels, um, all sorts of things. Yeah. And you have a super, like, you're looking at what is the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> the literary iceberg, when you see the sort of, he's got his, he's got two minor shells, but if he pans his camera around the other way, you've got like one, two, full, oh, more, more books. Books what galore. Yes. Shells. Oh, glorious. Yes. Oh. Glorious. It's the, the new I office mean, which I've moved into. Saying we moved you in write summer. game books is yes. true, but it's like, that's like saying Picasso paints a ceiling. You are the <laughs> eminent authority on game books. You wrote, you are the hero. Yep. You organised fantasy, uh, fighting fantasy fest. That's right. Yes. Which is a celebration of fighting fantasy game books. So it's a bit more than just, I write game books. <laughs> yeah, I write books about game books. I run conventions about game books, yes. On, on, a, on a random note, just because, you know, because of all the books and stuff you've got there, what is your go-to type of book when, obviously, you're not writing and, and I guess, reading um, uh, game books and stuff? Is there a type, you know, for me, like, I, I enjoy, his, I like... Um, historical books i'm very into my in my historical books and i quite enjoy my sort of sci-fi and fantasy sort of um epics what about yourself what what what, what tickles the fancy i, I do enjoy um historical whodunits uh, so along the lines of ellis peter's brother cadfile novels um Edward oh cadfile wow Doomsday. yeah um michael jack's uh templar series all those sort of things um i also because I'm a writer, I know lots of other writers, so I do read my friends' books from time to time. Um, <laughs> in the, the pub and recommend books to each other or find out what they're writing. So, yeah, I've got quite a few signed copies, which is nice as well. So, yes, um, not hard sci-fi. I read some sort of weirder fiction. Um, book I'm reading at the moment, I've almost finished, is The Way In by Will Wiles, which starts out about a bloke who goes to conventions so you don't have to, as, as in not exciting conventions like we attend, but ones like for, I don't know, sink manufacturers or something like that. Right. Or, okay. or, so um, 
Yeah, it's those sort of dull things, but it then becomes something very different. And I don't want to spoil it because it's, it's really good. <laughs> Have you ever read the um, Haven uh, Hawk and Fisher novels by no. Simon Green? No. Uh, it's basically, it's like, done as like a fantasy historical whodunit. But as if the um, detectives were Riggs and Murtaugh. Oh, okay. So it's quite interesting. You know, it's the, not the traditional detective types. Yeah. They're more like kind of just kicking doors and then demand questions. Yeah. So it's really gung, delightfully gung ho and very unconventional in terms of detective stories. But there is a mystery there to be solved, which is quite fun. Yeah, I, I do. I do enjoy a good mystery, um, including things like Sarah Pimbra's Behind Her Eyes, you know, the, the, yeah. the twist at the end of that. And, and it's one of those things where I thought I've worked this out and yet I hadn't. There were levels beyond that. And then but then as soon as you know the truth without spoiling it, it's right there from the start. It's very, very cleverly done. So I, I enjoy those sort of things that and, and I inevitably I kind of second guessing. My family hates it because if you're watching any sort of crime drama on the TV, I'll go, well, they did it. And my daughter particularly hates it. Death in Paradise is the worst. And generally, because it's the most famous guest actor, that's the only reason I'm basing it on at all. But she doesn't know they're famous. So. Yeah, I was watching an episode of Elementary during the second season. Um, it was just a fun... I, I, like, I, like, I thought Elementary was pretty good. It's well acted, yeah. but it's got the writing let it down, especially in like the start and midway of the second season, where I was guessing the entire plot based on my understanding of television um, industry and, and writing. And like, well, it's going to be one of the speaking guests. It's going to be, you know, a process of elimination. And I kind of, just once I managed, I got it figured out the entire thing before the first act had finished. And so I gave up at that point. Yeah, it's... Yeah, that, that- I'm it makes sure. me think about um, Deep Blue Sea, which is not a great film by any <laughs> imagination. But when you've got, this is a spoiler, but Samuel L. Jackson, you know, the biggest star in the film, when he dies like at the end of the first reel, you think, okay, anybody's fair game now. Yeah, well, that's it. I kind of, you kind of, thing is, part of me likes it. It's like, I kind of enjoy it when I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the shit and I've written the script. It's like, I wrote the script yeah. and stuff. You sit there and you go, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And you wrote the script and you kind of enjoy it that way. But also, like, I'm listening to um, Pierce Brown's um, Red Rise into the sixth book. Um, also called uh, Lightbringer, which has just come out, and like I was completely just like, right, this is going to happen, this going to, and, and it didn't. Something else completely happened, and I was just like, that's fucking awesome. I, I love it when it gets you. I love them when yeah. they just sort of kind of they 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 have you believing like you're a fucking you know I've got this I've got this worked out I've got this completely yeah. worked out, and then they just throw a spanner in the works, and you're just like, wow, okay, yeah, that's epic. Did anyone ever watch a Person of Interest? That was a really good take on procedural detective stories, where basically the whole presumption was um, Finch um, has designed this kind of super super program algorithm that can, you know, predict crime, but it generates a number like the the the, um, the social security number of that person, but you don't know whether they're going to be the victim or the perpetrator. Right. So. So that that was quite neatly done because, well, it's a bit more added dimension there. Like, okay, we've got to investigate this person. 
but we don't know whether the bad guy or the good guy. And like the story it develops from there into AI, you know, surveillance and all that. But just that premise was just so neatly done. Mm-hmm. And if you think, well, it's a yeah, it's a perpetrator. I don't know whether the bad guys or whether they're going to be the good guys. And so, see, so the entire first act of working out, who are they? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, um, I, I, I've got so I grew up on like this uh, reading sharp and um, you know like Lord of the Rings and things like that. And you, you sort of have this like the hero's going to survive, the hero's going to win, and he's going to do his thing. And you know, there's no real sort of. It's very gun ho and stuff like that. But then I started reading, like, my first ever, like, big shock read of, like, holy shit, what have they just done was obviously the Song of Ice and Fire series. And, like, you know, when they just, when he started just killing off people you like and love, and you're, just, you're just like, oh my God, what the hell are you doing? And then I've got mm. to a point now where I, I like my books to have twists in them if i don't get a twist and i feel cheated and it's just like everything i do and i, I watch now as well and I, I i quite like the new pyro films you know with uh kenneth branagh yeah yeah and i just kind of like there i know you, you didn't get the last one quite a, uh, what was it the, was it the last one death and nile was it death, death and, and nile yeah. yeah it's it wasn't a, i mean if it had been a detective story with Kenneth Branagh as the detect, just as a detective, fine. But because it was meant to be an adaptation of Death on the Nile, it wasn't faithful at all. Like they're bringing in these random elements that had no bearing at all on the story, that had never been established before in the books. Like he was in World War One. Yeah. No, no, and he was suffering PTSD. Uh, we, I mean, there were some nice bits where he kind of exhibited. Um, I was sort of like you know, frustration when things weren't set out correctly because he was a very kind of autistic. You know, He's on the spectrum. Artist, autistic, yeah. yeah. Exactly what, and they kind of portrayed that, and they portrayed him like you know, raging, and Poirot does not get angry. He gets frustrated. Like there's times when he'll stamp his cane down and just. A briefest moment of just a, a little retort, but it doesn't stand there and rage. So I just found it was too deviated from the established character. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I can I can see what Kenneth Branagh was doing, but I just don't think he was trying to take his take on it. For, for me personally, as someone who's a I quite no, enjoyed. Well, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch the third one. Um, I'm going to watch the third one both because yeah. it's got uh, Michelle Yeoh in it. Yeah, and I'm hoping she does kung fu. <laughs> she, <laughs> they they have her in everything now. Like after um, everything, everywhere, all at once, she just became uh, the Hollywood's darling. Her and um, oh god, played Short Round and played David. Oh, yes. What's his name? Oh, this is really bad. I've forgotten as well now, but he was really so, good, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah that's right. But I'll, I'll say one thing, though. I mean, it, I think she's getting the recognition she's deserved for a long time. I mean, don't forget, um, she's been in everything. She's been in Bond Girls in, in the 90s. Um, and what people forget is she's one of the few people to out Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. <laughs> when filming uh, Police Story 3, which starred Michelle Yeoh, opposite Jackie Chan, is like, um, she kind of rode this motorcycle on top of a speeding, like, you know, and 
and jumped onto a speeding train and landed a motorcycle on it. And because of that, Jackie Chan realised, hang on, you are doing me in my own film. <laughs> so they actually had a helicopter chase uh, over a city with Jackie Chan hanging from uh, a rope ladder that was attached to the helicopter just to, just to outdo her. Oh. Yeah, she, um, to be honest, they, they offered Jackie Chan uh, everything everywhere all at once. And... Um, um, oh god, I'm gonna. F- What's his bloody name? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Google it now. This is really bad. Um, it is ah yeah, K. Hugh Kwan. Um, yeah. they um, they got him in just because Jackie Chan said no. And like after the film, she sent them all. <laughs> she sent them all these messages going ah ah like you missed out on and stuff. But, yeah. I, think, I think the general phase was you're lost, bud. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, sorry, that was a, that's a massive segue from sort of like uh, sort of crap. On on back on the sort of the crime side of things, Knives Out. Did you like Knives Out? The and yes, the, and I the, did. the most recent one as well, which is Glass Onion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, I I really enjoyed funny. both of them. Yeah, I thought they're really good. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, so back to you and game books. So you've got a you've yes. got a new one coming out, um, Moon Knight: Age of Anubis. Uh, tell so, us about it. So it's a Marvel Multiverse Missions game book published by Aconite Books, and it's the third in the series. So the first two were written by uh, Tim Dinopoulos, and it was a uh, You Are Not Deadpool and She Hulk Goes to Murder World, and <laughs> The publisher Aconite is Mark Gascoigne, who many moons ago I worked with on Fighting Fantasy and we co-wrote two Sonic the Hedgehog game books together. <laughs> so when they started doing the Multiverse Missions books, uh, he asked me if I would do a technical check on the Deadpool and the She-Hulk book. And then in due course, they asked if I would uh, be up for writing one myself. And to begin with, because it was the first time they'd done it, they'd gone quite tentatively with characters who had a history of breaking the fourth wall, so talking to the reader. And the premise is that the reader is somebody who joins the superhero. You're, you, that's why it says you are not Deadpool. You don't play the part of Deadpool. You're his foil, but you get to help to make decisions. And they do it with She-Hulk, where um, you're a trainee attorney, whatever it is, and basically She-Hulk's testing you. So you can decide what happens next, but ultimately she's going to get you out of any problems. But having gone with the comedy route, they felt more confident they could do something, I would say, grittier but uh, a more c- conventional game book where there's a problem to solve and baddies to battle. So they came to me and they said, this is what we want to do. Um, apparently at the time, Marvel were quite keen to do another Deadpool one, but they said, but equally, you know, what would you like, you know, think of some characters you'd like to write about? So of course you think about all your favorite superheroes. So I thought Iron Man, Hulk, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider. And obviously because they said Deadpool, brainstorm something for that. But then having sort of worked some vague ideas out, and I mentioned this to my editor, they did come back and say, you know, Spider-Man, no, because that's Marvel's, he's their pride and joy. He's their most valuable property. So nobody gets to do Spider-Man <laughs> just like that. Yeah, yeah. So you never know in the future. Um, and then they'd actually come back and said they'd be quite up for seeing something with either Moon Knight or Doctor Strange in, which I mm. thought would never be an option because the fact they've just had, I think at the time, the Moon Knight show just finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Doctor Strange, the second film, had been out. And I thought, that's that's too good an opportunity to miss. So I worked up outlines for two, both characters, and they effectively went away. So I'd got my Moon Knight, Doctor Strange and Deadpool ideas, and they went with Moon Knight. So I then went ahead and drew up a full proposal outline 
and it was a bit of turning and throwing with Marvel to make sure it was all approved because you sort of put in you know these are my ideal characters I'd like to include but if for some reason I can't these are secondary characters <laughs> so there are most of them the ones I wanted made it into the book which is brilliant one or two um, I couldn't use for various different reasons um, not all of which I'm party to the the reasons for that and other times we sort of they would then suggest but how about this instead which is quite cool so i mean to be honest to be playing in the marvel sandbox at all was awesome um and to do something as as of the moment as moonlight was really exciting and also because i think the character of mark specter with his uh different alters his disassociative identity disorder um was something which actually they wanted to explore in the book they weren't going to shy away from that so how to make that work in a game book and still be um tactful is not the right word respectful but but deal deal with it with with care i suppose but without yeah yeah that's it but without sort of avoiding the the situation and i think what we did worked so yeah so i'm I'm waffled on i know for ages now but basically the premise is that you are an egyptologist there's a new exhibition in the um in new york in the museum and you're in charge of this exhibition and while you're doing final check before it opens the next day a sarcophagus bursts open and uh, the living mummy comes out of it and just as you're dealing with that moonlight crashes through the 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 skylight and battles the mummy and it takes it from there so you end up having to accompany moonlight um there's a good reason given why you have to do that to then find out what the mummy's doing what its ultimate aim is and how it all links back to anubis so one thing i was asking is when you kind of like Game books are based, have, have combat elements into it. So yes. it's just like, um, as in the classic fighting fantasy, how do you kind of, so when you do combat, are you running combat for yourself or are you running combat for Moon Knight? Um, sometimes it's we can sort of fudge it. A lot of the time it's Moon Knight, but it's also implied at times that you're a team. So it's between right. the two of you, but obviously the implication being that the CPA is doing most of the, the actual fighting. Um, but so there's things... It's handled differently from fighting fantasy, but you have three main qualities for the superhero. So in the case of Moon Knight, it's might, which is obviously combat related and strength. You have mystic or mystic, sorry, which is more to do with persuasion and esoteric knowledge. And you have mind, which is your ability to concentrate. And different things that you can choose or that might happen can uh, affect those stats to go up or down. Unlike fighting fantasy, if it goes below zero, the character doesn't die. It just makes the tests later on much harder. Um, so you can, depending on how the character's developing, you can actually make different choices in the book. So if, if your Moon Knight is particularly mighty, you can go that route. Or if he's better at the, the mind powers, you can go make different choices. It might not be obvious at the time which the choices are, of course. Um, but yeah, so you have these situations where it says like you're in a fight, and you've got to first do this test to see if you get that. And then if you pass that test, it gives you a bonus on the other bit. But it's all explained within the text. So rather than being complicated section of rules, that, well, not that complicated in game books, but it's kind of more in the moment. And as a result, you can sort of vary things depending on what you're trying to simulate. Okay. And I mean, I assume like though the uh, might, mind and mystic elements are kind of um, shared within all the Marvel game books by Aconite. No, so they have three. Oh. But they vary. What they're called depends on the different characters. Um, so, for example, in Deadpool, you have Merc, Mouth and Focus. Um, She-Hulk, it's power, charm and concentration. 
and so Moonlight, just because I'm me, I wanted to make them all start with the letter M. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if I did, so they effectively, yeah, they effectively all serve the same purpose, but you can kind of tweak it slightly to that to suit that character and that tone. Was Moonlight? But also, it means you can have battles where rather than so in fighting fantasy, you'd have you're rolling your skill and you're deducting points or from your stamina or the enemy stamina. stamina. In these books, you can have a battle which involves more than one stat at the same time. So you can add your might and your mystic together. So, for example, if some sort of more supernatural battle going on and then roll dice to see how they compare. So that's quite fun. It gives you a few more options. Was Moon Knight a character you knew much about before writing the book? Like, he's not uh, hes not one of the main roster superheroes. Is he somebody you had to do some research on? Or did you have sort of nerd knowledge about him previously? I didn't know much. I, I knew he was a thing. I knew that he appeared, I think, first in uh, Werewolf by Night. Um, I, I used to think he's a bit... It's a bit weird character to be called Moon Knight. It's kind of that clash of American culture with other things. But then when I... So I, I, I knew a little, but very little. But then I watched the Marvel TV series, which is obviously one take on the character. But I was very intrigued. And I what pleased me was that a lot of the... Uh, as I looked into it more, a lot of the ancient Egyptian mythology was... Um, I, I know there are some vagaries, but was quite well handled, I thought. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It didn't shy away from the accuracy of that because, bizarrely, my university dissertation was called "Myth and Symbol in Ancient Egyptian Art." Wow! Oh, wow. So you <laughs> really kind of... yeah. Um, so I liked that, and then obviously I had to do some more research on it, and I did read up on the more recent runs of the character in the comics, um, particularly Lemire. Is it? I'm trying to think. I've got them on my shelf over there, but um, uh, which I think they took a lot of that for the actual show with the whole element of um uh, mark specter's you know disassociative identity disorder and and where he he thinks he's in a sanitarium or an asylum and not quite sure what's going on so that's yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of kind of iterations on the whole mark specter character and what and how Moon Knight surfaces from him, whether he is like you know, a separate personality, whether he's sort of like um, a spirit, whether he's like a spirit of like the Moon Knight that inhabits his body, like sort of on possession. And yeah, it's kind of like how the kind of, it's changed over time. Mm. So well, sometimes Conchu is almost treated as one of his alters, isn't he? And yeah. other times he's a completely separate entity. Um, in this one, Conchu talks to you throughout the book. And you kind of get odd glimpses of him. Um, but yes, I, I do use those those three distinct personalities of, of Marx as well. And that something else which you have in the book are qualities. Uh, and it's quite a nice mechanic. This is something that's, that the team at Aconite had come up with before for the other books. But it means it's effectively like having lots of other little scores, but you don't have to worry about them beforehand. It's only as they become relevant. And you might not know what they do during the book either. So I'm slightly wary to give too much away. But I used some of those. So, for example, I think in I think it's in Deadpool. There's there's one that's called Nobbled Guns. So the more things you do to mess up um, the 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 gun running trade that's going on in the story, that has an impact later on. So uh, you have all these quirky names for different things. But I've used those so that different actions which you choose or, or how you react to Moon Knight will bring start to bring the different personalities to the fore. Oh, and as you get into the book, you might be more aware of that, and then you can choose what you want to do. So, if you want him to be, it's more likely that Jake Lockley is going to show up and with his ultra violence, or if it's going to be Stephen Grant and his 
uh, deeper knowledge of things. So you can manipulate things that way. How much did the TV series influence your uh, your portrayal of Moon Knight? Because I mean, for me, Conchu, uh, voiced by was it first uh, Murray Abram? Yeah, was just really it was so disparagingly wonderful. A wonderful yeah. disparaging. That, that's I definitely had his voice in my head when I had Conchu saying his bits. Um, I'd say it's a mixture. I, I guess primarily it's the comics because that's always the source material. Yeah. Um, but but yes, it was interesting to see how, how they did it. And I also uh, the Mister Knight personality does appear briefly in my book. One reviewer was quite excited when he suddenly stumbled across that, and it's, it's only <laughs> for like a brief bit. But um, he's in there too because I think I, I just quite <laughs> like the design of the character for the TV show. Um, but what's nice about the multiverse missions, because they're called multiverse, is they exist in their own little bubble universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to tie into the continuity of the comics or the TV show or anything. And it also means that you can use characters who maybe aren't entirely alive in the current continuity. Ooh. Um, but I won't give any more away. Mm. Yeah, so it gives you, a lot, cool. gives you a lot of freedom in like how you approach it, who, who, you can, uh, who can appear in it. Yeah. It's just being true to the characters. And obviously it's things like um, Encounter the Living Mummy. Sometimes he's an enemy and sometimes, you know, he's uh, one of the good guys when he's like with the other monsters. Uh, but it's, 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 uh, it just depends on the story. So I remember Al Ewing being interviewed about who's stronger, Hulk or I think it was Wolverine or Hulk or thing. And it's like, well, it depends on the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's going to win? It's purely narrative driven. It's not actually a, well, let's see who's actually the tougher one. We can, it's not whose story it is and who we want to be the winner. That's who wins. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah, because I mean, like DC regularly used to kind of have that question of who was faster, um, the Flash yeah. or Superman. And the point where they actually had dedicated issues of them having a race around the world. <laughs> yeah, I saw, yeah. The, I saw the animated one of that. That was uh, quite amusing. Ray freezes. What doesn't he? Doesn't he freeze? And what happens? They both get frozen or something, and then like uh, the Flash uses his like super vibrations to get through the uh, to get through the ice. Mad, mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I was gonna say, Moon Knight always reminds me of. I'd literally just watched the last episode before we did a podcast <laughs> we were doing the podcast and talking about it and i, I was all, all these questions is like well he's that guy and he's this guy and like john joe just turns around and goes did you not see the after credit scene and i went oh my god rookie mistake out of a, like all our all marvel things and i didn't see the last thing so i had to go mid i had literally had to leave the podcast go and watch it and then come back and so i could talk about it it was really amusing because i was just like i can't believe I, I did that i can't believe i didn't see that last did, thing so actually got do you have like a post credit scene in the book or like a no, but there are alternative endings and there are alternative successful endings. Oh, nice. But, um, th this is, again, something which the Aconite team had already established, but it's quite nice. You get star ratings. So as you play the book, uh, you can um, acquire achievements, as you would in a video game. Um, and they're not always for doing the good things. And then when you get to the back of the book and you tick off what you've done, you can find out the ones super achievements. So there's things like finding all the death sections in the book gives you an achievement. Um, so it's failing as well can help you be a complete completist. But you get these <laughs> five star ratings. So um, I'm sure it's yeah, one to five. I'm trying to remember that because <laughs> since I wrote it and I've written a few other books since. But um, so you, you can have a successful ending. So there's uh, one 
without giving too much away, where it's a the ultimate outcome is positive, but you don't survive. So that's obviously the worst positive ending you can get. And then there's the absolute tip top when you want to get. So that's something else that you can try and do. Yeah. Actually, because you mentioned as well about the character, you don't have to know anything about Moonlight to read the book. So it's one of those things where if you do know the character, hopefully you'll go, oh, I know what this is, or I remember that story, or oh, I know what's about to happen now. But there's enough explained that to give you an idea, if, if you don't know what's going on, it gives you a bit of background yeah. as it goes along. But that's that's easier said than done because Moonlight is a very, you know, yeah. relatively complex background. Well, part of it is the character that you play in the book you, you live in New York in the Marvel Universe, so you are aware of superheroes and you you recognise Moon Knight, but you don't know very much about him. So it gives an excuse for the, the character to ask questions, which yeah. are then answered one way or another throughout the, the book. Yeah. But like I say, there's more, there's Easter eggs for people who know the, the Marvel Universe in more greater depth. I think it's like all characters have multiple arcs and multiple sort of kind of multiversal um, versions of themselves. So you can kind of, I think you can get away with most things when it comes to Marvel. It, if somebody starts moaning about it, it's like, well, if you think about this this arc or this arc, you can you, you can go anywhere with them. They've done pretty much everything. Oh, there, there was, because um, obviously their manuscript has to be approved by Marvel, by the team there. But there was one reference I put in just to throw a comment about, and I put Super Friends. <laughs> and I got the feedback saying, no DC. That's amazing. What are the characters you didn't, uh, like, obviously there was ones in there that you were like, which ones did you want in and didn't get to put in? Oh, I, I'm trying to think now. Um Morbius, oh, right, the, okay. living vampire. Living that vampire, was one yeah. which was a no. Um, oh, I'm trying to. Oh, um, man, thing as well. All oh, right, okay. Uh, but because he'd been in the the TV show recently, I think possibly they might have other plans. So, but that that was a no. Um, I'm trying to remember that there was another one later in the adventure, and I can remember who replaced him, but I don't want to give that away. But I've I've forgotten. <laughs> um, yeah, but oh. but there's there's t- a typical well. Uh, traditionally accepted heroes and villains in the book. Okay. You meet other good guys other than just Moon Knight. All right, yeah. nice. Yeah. I mean, structurally, um, I think uh, Final Fantasy set the um, <clears throat> precedent of having 400 uh, sections in each book. Is that the same for uh, Moon Knight? Or, oh. No, so there's 300. Okay. It's, uh, and it's a three-act structure, so yeah, your typical novel structure with bottlenecks and it roughly works out that it's a pretty even third for each part of the book so um but that's something which i normally with my own game books now i kind of have a a loose act structure it might be more than three because some of mine have got stupidly long um but yeah these are 300 sections and it will be the same for my next one should be that sort of t- kind of ties in and I'm, I'm pretty we've probably talked about this the last time you you were on but um as my brain as we told have we seen my brain is uh malfunctioning and how does it work when it comes to writing a game book in that obviously you sort of goes go to page whatever so how do you organize it so it doesn't sort of as you who's writing it understands how you're where you're going um also i guess us who are reading it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter which page we're going to but for yourself when you're writing it how do you make sense of it how do you get it in a in a in a, in a sort of cohesive order 
So I I know of a couple of people who do it completely differently from me. Um, but the way I do is I write it in order. So section one will go to sections two and three and so on and expand that way, because that way I always keep track of where I am or how much I've got left of the adventure to write. And I don't muddle it up at all at that point beyond. Obviously, it's there's going to be some jumps around depending on how things link up. Um, and I always leave some more inconsequential encounter till the end. So I'll finish writing the, the main adventure and then I'll have this extra bit so that I know I can then tailor that to the right number of sections. So that's how I make sure it fits. So something where I could expand it if I want to, or I could cut it down if needs be. So all the important stuff, if you want to have, then, then I don't run out of sections or you don't get some weird number. That said, I have added kind of a hundred sections to some of my Ace game books to make it work. But I've got this thing about it being a nice round number. So having done that, I will then go back and muddle it up. But I know people say, well, there's software for this. And one guy was telling me about his game book software, which sounds absolutely amazing. And it's not twine, it's more tailored for game books. But when I asked him, does it do this? And he'd say, yes. Well, does it do this? Yes. Does it do this, this and this? Ah, no. Because um, I'm very old school. So I will literally print out a copy of the book and I'll renumber it by hand and then go through and restructure it, which is probably rather laborious, but mm -hmm. I'm almost 52 now, so it's too late to change. Um, <laughs> but it's part of my process. So I have, particularly with, not, not with the Moonlight book, it, it does have some small filler illustrations, but with a fighting fancy game book, one of my own ace game books, I will have a certain number of illustrations and I want to space them evenly throughout the book. But then you also have sections which are dependent on being the solution to a puzzle or some of information you've given or a code word. So they have to have certain numbers. And I also now try and make it that you don't necessarily jump backwards and forwards too much because some of my books are pretty chunky. Mm -hmm. So I'll try and keep the sections within a relatively close number so that it's just physically manipulating the book is easier than it might be otherwise. So when you add all those factors in and the fact that sometimes the illustration will also be the answer to a puzzle or it's got to be you can get there if you've deducted a certain number from a playing a specific character. So it can take quite a long time to work all that out. Um, but then having done that, like I said, I restructure the book and send off to my proofreader and play testers who check that all the links work and none of them are broken. Do you uh, do, you do flowcharts? The sort of I do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good old flowcharts. Um, <laughs> th this isn't. Uh, this isn't Moon Knight. Yeah, this is my folder for Dracula Curse of the Vampire. Wow. I I wow. About last time. That's, <laughs> That's my longest game book to date. It's a thousand sections long. Um, <laughs> wow. But this, these are the flowcharts. So there's my, um, my renumbering. I don't know if you can see that. Probably not in the terrible light. It's all far too bright. Yeah. But um, yeah, so there's pages and pages of handwritten, scribbled on. It's all all by hand. So um, when I started out writing game books, I kind of made up a little bit more long as I went along. But whereas now, when I start a scene, I will draw the flowchart for it first. Then I'll write it. But inevitably, the flowchart changes as I write it as well. Yeah. Do you um, ever get yeah, lots and lots of flowcharts? Charts. Do you ever get to a point where you've done a flowchart and they've all branched off into the right things, but then you've had to change something which has a detrimental effect to the rest of the branches? I try not to do that. <laughs> no. um, I, I have had one or two, yeah, where you have to really go back and unpick it or or some number then doesn't work or it's caused a problem later on. And you, I've had it sometimes with code words where 
I did it less now, but I had a propensity in the past for doing, you know, the converting the word into numbers using A equals one, B equals two and so on. And then I realized I'd used it for something else. So I then just added at the end, you know, calculate this and then times the result by two. Because then it gave me another option I could turn to. Wonderful. <laughs> Does the fact I don't, like I say, Final Fantasy Gamebox is usually 400 sections, but with it, with it being 300, does that kind of change the flow or structure of the story? No, because, um, because the combat and dice rolls work differently, it probably balances out. Because when you've got Fighting Fantasy, for example, it'll say test your luck, and that branches to yeah. two other options. Um, that isn't a mechanic that's used in the Moonlight books. And the, the combat sections, you'll get a set of instructions, but it, it will all be within the same section. And then it's just at the end of all of that. Whereas in other game books, that might have been split across um, various dice rolls and various pages. So now I think there's as much story in, in Moonlight as there is in one of my early fighting yeah. fantasy books. Also, I mean, how long does it take you to write the typical... A game book, I mean, from initial conception all the way through to publication? That's a tricky one. Um, I mean, the one I'm going to write next, I think I found the, the notes for it. I plotted it something like seven years ago. Uh, so... I started working on it and then I left it. I haven't been working on it the whole time by any means. And I made some more notes in April. But when it actually comes to the writing process, I guess it's about three months. But there are more intense bits than others. And I'm always working on more than one thing. I, I'm never just working on one project, no matter how much I tell myself, this time we'll just do one thing. <laughs> now I am a jobbing writer, so people come along and say, will you do this? Or they'll be, uh, can you check this, you know, from this foreign, uh, this new foreign language edition, or could you just write this for this, or we need an interview here? There's always something else. So I've got at least four or five projects on the go, and it's just one then takes precedence until conclusion. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah. Sorry. No, you carry on. Pick. I was going to say, like, you've um, you finished obviously uh, Moon Knight, and do you have another one that goes well with the Marvel multiverse missions? So, well, we'll have to see how the sales go on this one. The next game book I'm doing is for Aconite, and it has been announced, but it's not Marvel. They're okay. starting a series of Arkham Horror Ooh. game books. Ooh. So it's called A Darkness Over Arkham, and that has been announced on the official website. So, oh. so yeah, I get to play in a different sandbox this time, but equally fun. And and also, that will have its own game system, but one yes. based on sanity as well, as well, I imagine. Yes, so it'll be, it, it's not identical to, but it'll be very, certainly the stats and things will be very familiar to anybody who's played the Arkham Horror card game. And yeah, that's intentional, including the characters, so the people oh, that you nice. uh, the The idea in this one is you're not... You are a bit like fighting fantasy, you are the hero, so you are the investigator. And at the start of the book, you'll have a choice of three named investigators from the game who you can play as, and their stats are min maxed either way. So you'll have somebody who's obviously better at the esoteric knowledge, somebody's better at fighting, all you know, the usual things. Um, but then as you play the book, it will just be the typical you do this, you do that, and obviously, you know, as and you'll have special rules, but they'll be in the adventure sheet so you'll know how to apply them in the game without having to have it explicitly stated then. The hope is that in the future, if there are more of them, that you'll actually be able to take characters in one book and play another book with the, those characters. Okay. Yeah. So so because they'll have the same system, so you basically drop characters from different game books 
And yeah, and they might do things like downloads as a, oh, here's a bonus character you can try with this one, things like that. Okay. But it's, it's early days of that yet, but that's that's the plan. Yeah, and of course, they will have obviously a very different tone and yeah. format to the t- to like a Fantasy Fantasy or Marvel game book, I assume. Yeah, that's always the, the one of the things that the first time around is quite tricky and you've got to be very careful with doing tie-in fiction is exactly that, it's meeting the tone. Um, because while Arkham Horror is obviously Lovecraftian, it's not Lovecraft and it's not as dark or as macabre as, um, you know, things like Call of Cthulhu mm. probably take. So it's finding, a, 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 this is this is purely from me, but I guess it's like a PG-13 kind of rating. So the more grotesque elements would be implied rather than explicit. Um, and it's again, it's not that, um, you know, the, the you are insignificant and nothing you do makes any difference to these elder gods who they don't even have it in for you. You're just so minor that, you know, it's like <laughs> someone's got an ant and it drives you mad. It's more the idea of, okay, here's some gribbly monsters, right, grab your shotgun, we can fight back. So it's yeah, slightly it, more optimistic. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of Brian Dumley's take on the Lovecraft universe, where, as he put it, my guys don't, uh, don't scream and they fight back. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yes, yeah, no, we've still got the, all the tentacles and monsters of a typical Lovecraft story, but just you've also got shotguns as well. Point <laughs> yes. point, which apparently, shotguns also, are also considered magical weaponry when done point blank. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, what's that was I is when you kind of, as you're plotting this, um, mansion, uh, mansion, how, what research do you do for these Lovecraft books? So, Arkham Horror, sorry, of uh, Arkham Horror books, sorry. I know, um, obviously I have a grounding in sort of Lovecraftian fiction and i've read you know, brian lundy's for example as well as hp lovecraft and others and i've um riffed off that kind of setting before in my own stories i wrote a horror novella called the serpent's egg which you can still download from amazon um but with this one specifically i did you know get hold of a copy of the game read all the the world bibles read, read up on the investigators and also aconite published a series of arkham horror novels oh. so i've been, been reading my way through some of those as well to get again the idea of the tone and how characters are treated, how the sort of monsters that the 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 in-game elements, how they're transferred to the real world. So you know, somebody reading the book will know that's a ghoul if they played the game, but it's not necessarily somebody doesn't suddenly see this horrible thing crawling out of a sarcophagus and go, Oh, that's a ghoul. They're thinking, what's this hideous kind of it looks the cert looks human, but it moves more like a dog, you know, and this weird sound it makes is that is that an animal sound or is it trying to speak and that kind of element of it which i quite enjoy have you ever played mansions of badness i haven't but yeah that that does have a that that whole setting equally plays into it as much as yeah. basic our game yeah because i've been there's a lot of interchange between arkham horror and mansions of madness and yeah, um, yeah i mean Mark and i both love mansions of madness with the kind of the kind of the investigation element and sneaking around and trying not to die yeah so certainly that is also part of the game book is going to be that whole it will lean into the investigation as as much as here is some monsters you know fighting fancy it's more a case of you turn turn up in a village oh it's being terrorized by a giant how are you going to solve from you're going to fight it or do you have this magical item to use whereas in this it will be following the clues following the breadcrumbs and see where it leads again that kind of brings up this question is how can like game books mimic the structure of a investigation 
because I mean, like, it's not just go there, fight someone, stab it, yay, move on to the next mission. It's more go there, find the clues, yeah, and get enough evidence, and then with the information you've accrued from all the clues, putting it like, oh, put it back to sleep, you know, banish it or what have you. Yeah. So can game books? How do you find that? Well, I've done it before. Um, okay. In different ways, uh, I did. Um, I co-wrote. Steve Jackson's 40th anniversary of Fighting Fantasy Gamebook, Secrets of Salamonis. And in that, there's a bit where you do an investigation. And depending on the things that you find out, the choices you make, you get clue points. And they're not all the same value. So once you then go to actually try, when you think you've solved a problem, you add your clue points together and turn to that section. So any combination of them gives you a completely different section to turn to. So and it then reflects on the knowledge you have of the options that are open to you. Um, but We'll be doing things slightly differently with the Arkham Horror book. We just had to wait and see. <laughs> okay. And uh, but like going back to Marvel is, uh, I think Marvel have done these fan fancy games, got game books before, if I recall. There is have been some in the past. Um, yeah. I I do have some somewhere, but I'm trying to think. I'm not sure that they actually had game rules. I think they're more likely to be more like your choose an adventure, which is just the branching narrative, and that for me. It's a difference uh, with a game book. It has to have some sort of game element with roll, not necessarily rolling dice, but some sort of RPG element to it, rather than just the story now branches this way or that way. Because certainly, when I read as a child the Choose Your Own Adventure, I I know they have a massive following all around the world, but I I found them unsatisfying because it was literally just we branched, we branched, we branched, and it's ended here, and they'd be completely different. Whereas I preferred the fact that it kind of all tied up together where it could intersect. Um, I did one like that myself for Doctor Who. So I've written a couple of Doctor Who game books. The first one was The Horror of Howling Hill, which is effectively a branching narrative, but it is also a puzzle to solve. So it does tie up. Um, but some of it does end up being a bit fudged because you think if you've all got to end up in the same place and having information. Um, but then I did it a bit better with the second one I did, which was the 12th Doctor, uh, Night of the Kraken. So I managed to play into that with sort of collecting objects would open up different options. And because of that, there are actually two completely different alien races behind the events in the story, depending on the route you take. OK. And I mean, like, obviously, each game book requires its own um, system to, to apply the game element to it. And obviously, you can't like have the same um, system up between different novels because obviously ip uh rights so yeah. how do you so do you have a kind of a preferred or almost yeah plus with a preferred system that you utilize i mean i have to say with my own ace game books it's a, it's similar to fighting fantasy <laughs> should we say without being the same um and in mine it's um simultaneous combat rather than turn taking um yeah. and i i do use initiative as well so bringing that kind of rpg element and depending and i've also introduced other rules there's always something or not not always but in most of them there's something called the pen is mightier so you actually have the option of avoiding combats a certain number of times in the book because obviously that's something which some people don't enjoy or they get, get worried near the end so you can do that and i'll often have another rule which will change the story so i don't have luck in my books but it may work for the better or for the worse but you don't know until you play that option um so i've given it various names so in the first one alice's nightmare in wonderland um, it's now it's called Curiouser and Curiouser. Um, in The Wicked Wizard of Oz, it's called Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> and um, for my next one, which is going to be called Shakespeare versus Cthulhu, it's called Where There's a Will. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs>
I mean, also, I mean, I think if I recall, like, uh, Fighting Fancy is now 40 years old. Yep. And I think, like, uh, I remember the first game book I ever played was um, Selling Port Blackstone, City of Thieves. And I think yes. that's, and that's like, 40, year, 40 years old this year, in fact. It is. Yeah, it was published on, I think it was the 1st of September, was its 40th anniversary. And the fact you can remember this off the top of your head, it's kind of scary. No, that, that shows that I've just been finishing off You Are the Hero, the 40th anniversary edition. That's all that tells you. <laughs> ah, OK, that makes sense. I, I'm um, great at having this knowledge when I'm in the middle of a book. But then before I came on tonight, I did just have to go through my notepad to see, well, who else did I pitch for before Moonlight was accepted? Because I'm very good at then dumping all the information later and moving on. <laughs> but, I mean, one of the great things, you say fighting fancy, it's got your classic three stats in most books, skill, stamina yeah. and luck. But it's amazing how much flexibility that gives you and how many variations you can play on that. I remember there's one, I think it's in Death Trap Dungeon, which that's uh, the one. wrote. That's the first um, one I ever had. Death Trap Dungeon was my first yeah. ever fighting fantasy book. I think it's there, because there's a cursed well or spring that you can drink from, and it actually boosts your stamina points because of the spell cast on it. But it's cast by a witch, so you also lose luck points at the same time. And I just <laughs> love that. That's really, really clever. Yeah, I mean... Um... Yeah, it's just like it's fact it's we're still talking about it for in forty years forty years on tells you that the strength of the book and how you know people still play into the same, including yeah. myself. And one thing I want to ask as well is like apparently uh, you're uh, collaborating with um, Sir Ian. I love the fact that Ian lives and has been knighted now, and he's officially yeah. Sir Ian. <laughs> but you're starting kind of on the art yes. of fighting fancy as well, aren't you? Yes, and we've actually got a Zoom call about it tomorrow. So oh. yeah even better yeah. the text is all, almost there almost there oh fantastic yeah because yeah, i mean the artwork in those fighting fantasy both the cover artwork and the interior is just phenomenal oh yeah stunning yeah. um I mean, it's amazing they, they again stood the test of time those classic covers and and it's weird how just because how copyright works how many places they've cropped up um death metal seems to be quite a good source there's uh, one of mine was um, Howl of the Werewolf, and the artwork for that's appeared on, I think, Heavy Metal Magazine, and it's even <laughs> been a tattoo on somebody's back. Oh, nice. Yes, yeah. nice. <laughs> Do you have to sign the back as well? Oh, no. I, I've only ever seen photographs, but it's quite cool because the fo- one of the photographs, is the guy's wearing a T-shirt that looks like it's been ripped by claws, and you can see the werewolf through it behind it, which is quite nice. Oh, nice. Quality, quality. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, like, I'll put in some ways like fighting, fighting fantasy spoiled because I now expect artwork yes. in game books now. Kind of because to add to that level of immersion, especially because like the way the artwork's done, it, it's not just done as a kind of a static scene. It's no. more like done from perspective of the hero, where you are seeing what yeah. the hero is seeing, and well, I kind of I expect that now in other game books. Well, I'm the same because that's where I grew up. And, you know, there is occasionally the question does go on the various groups, does a game book need illustrations? It's like, well, no, but <laughs> I, I would I would prefer to have them in mind, which is why I, it's a big reason why I actually crowdfund them because artwork and quality artwork, you know, it's not cheap and quite rightly so. It's somebody spent hours labouring over that. Um, but I feel it really makes a difference. And it's also I spend, you know, it's a long time, well, not to say long time, but it's an important part of the process is cheap using the artist to make because their art will also before anybody reads any of your words will set the expectations and tone for it um, and they have to marry up and 
Sometimes I've asked people and they've said no. Um, and in some cases, that means I actually haven't written the book. So I did want to write an Ace Game book uh, based on the journey to the West, the oh, classic monkey. Yeah. I may still do it. But the artist I asked um, wasn't up for it at the time. I'll, I'll confess, it was Neil Gooch. <laughs> and he was relaunching Bazooka Jewels at the time. And I then went to a couple of years later and said, look, would you like to illustrate Ronin 47, which is Kaiju versus mechs? And he went, OK, then. So I still that was Ronin 47, which is the last published one. Yeah. And, you know, that manga-esque look just looks completely different from any other Ace Game book. But, yeah. you know, it sells you a certain expectation in the story. And it's amazing the way he draws monsters, but also the So good. The machines. I remember being at your booth, uh, not last year, uh, last year, not the Rick Kurt one that's just passed um, and loving the artwork for the uh, the mechs and it was absolutely the Batman, yeah. yeah they're so good so good yeah. and he, also made, just... he did so many um, just design sketches in profile and elevations of the mechs before I even decided which ones I wanted so in the hardback the collector's hardback uh, I did put those sketches in the back of the book for people to enjoy as well but yeah I'm hoping I would if the sales and to make it worthwhile i'd love to actually turn this one into a trilogy i've got the ideas for the next two books and would love to have neil back on board but um nice. it's always finding the time well, the sequel be running 48 and then the final final will be running 49 <laughs> no well they're, they're going to be running 47 with a subtitle so the next one's running 47 kaiju killer all right nice and i won't give away the third one yet just in case it does become a thing almost oh, nice. okay um <laughs> Sorry, Mark, I was going to say, um, just on a, a side note, because I'm looking through your website at the minute. There's, uh, you've got a Beowulf um, role playing game. Is that is that yeah. a, is that actually a role playing game, or is that a uh, a game book? That is a role playing game. It's here on my desk. So there it is. Hell, oh. role playing in the world of Beowulf, Beowulf Beast Slayer, because Beowulf Beast Slayer was the fourth Ace game book I wrote. Right, and I've now turned it into an RPG. So normally ah, right. RPGs okay. lead to game books. I've gone the other way around. So it's got more complicated rules, but still quite rules light. But um, I'm very pleased with it. I think the layout's amazing oh, and the artwork. Some of it commissioned for the book, some of it licensed from other artists really is very cool. And not much of it is actually the rules. A lot of it is adventures. So there's two. The first two parts of the Beowulf adventure are in there. And depending on, again, time and finances, I'd like to get some supplements out, which would finish the Beowulf story. But also I want to do... Um, a campaign based on like the Sons of Ragnar. So, oh, that would be uh, good. Historical characters, but give them that kind of thing, give it a slightly fantastical twist. So either the boneless and, um, yeah, all that sort of thing. I've got the ideas, it's just the time. I don't Ooh, know. That'll be good. That'll be good. But yeah, so that's the second role-playing game I've done. The first one I did, bizarrely, was based on my Christmas book, Twas the Krampus Night Before Christmas. I saw that as well, oh, yeah. yeah. So there's Twas the role game before christmas so this actually has various supplements some of which are um pdf only but others are print um print on demand so last year i released the not sure it's here oh there it is yeah the ad- adventure calendar <laughs> so, new content for every day in december oh wow so that, those, i'd love to do more but the trouble is i write all of these things so and obviously if people come along and paying gigs like moonlight that's obviously a yeah, well, that's yeah. precedent yeah, yeah of course of yeah. course yeah 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 and I think, how long did uh, Moon Knight take from, I imagine like almost the, the development stage where you're kind of discussing ideas with Marvel, that took the longest. Well, when you mentioned that, I was just thinking about it, actually. And I think the first notes I made were about a year ago. 
so nice first brainstorming for different things so um and then i can't remember but i was writing it in january and i can't remember what the deadline was now but <laughs> but i think it was something like april to make sure it's all because they get it printed in time so it's, it's already out in the states but it's yeah. now on a, the the copies for the uk are on a boat heading across the atlantic at the moment so it'll be out on the 23rd of november here oh nice so just in time for christmas yeah so I guess, you know, like I say, from that was from conception to actually having a copy of the book. It's a, about a year, but there's obviously lots of times in that where I'm doing nothing to do with Moonlight at all, but <laughs> waiting for the next bit or. Yeah, well, I mean, how long was that kind of that discussion stage with Marvel where you're going, I want to do this, and they're going, no, you can't <laughs> do that. Well, the good thing is that um, I have a great editor, uh, Gwen Nix, and she's very used to working with Marvels. So right. the first, she's my sounding board to begin with. And she will then pass things on. So she can save me wasting my time early on. Uh, and she's, they're always having back to, uh, to and fro conversations because they're writing all sorts of Marvel novels as well, just like they are for Arkham Horror. So they're, they're quite hot on, you know, what's going to pass muster and what might not. And, uh, and that's why they'll say, well, you know, try for this character, but then have an alternative in case they say no. Um, to have some flexibility but yeah so actually I, I, and I'm being really vague now but because I've got my head full of fighting fans at the moment I can't remember how long it took different yeah. dates and things. <laughs> so I know that with, with the Arkham Horror one that's been a lot quicker because we've got to try and get it out for next April so awesome. so that's that's not long really no well fingers crossed I'll get feedback on the revised synopsis on Wednesday and then it'll probably be all guns blazing on that one which is why it's been good to get the fighting fancy stuff finished right yeah okay and i mean so i mean so you can't like say to marvel well i want um i want moon knight to be bitten by a radioactive spider hit by <laughs> cosmic rays that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like going slightly that everybody suddenly becomes venomized <laughs> Actually, there is, isn't there in one of the alternative, there's Arachno-Knight or something like that, where it is Moonlight has Spider-Man's powers or vice versa. They, they have done I'm lots sure of there things. is. Yeah, they, they've kind of, especially with the Spider-Verse, they have done lots of yeah. different interpretations of the Spider-Man character. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's one, like there's the whole Venom-Verse, there's whole um, Carnage uh, Spider-Man, which is frankly it's terrifying yeah i mean one of the ideas i i you know i've still got my spider-man idea on the back burner in case one day they think yeah actually you know, he's written a few books now we'll trust <laughs> it. So, let's let him go that'll be fun oh yeah i can imagine and you like well spider is kind of like i think i think he's kind of marvel's top standing character at the moment yeah that that's Yes. I mean, that's why it's really hard to get. Yeah. I, I do. There is an oblique reference to it in Moonlight, which which got past the censors. <laughs> so it's, it's a really, really subtle reference. But technically, Spider-Man's in my game book. I'm sorry. I'm, I, while, while you're talking, I'm sort of kind of going through all your, your list of things. You've got some non you've got some non-fiction stuff. Um, I've got one here. What is Murr anyway? And it's uh, everything <laughs> you always wanted to know about Christmas. That's right. We, I think that was published 15 years ago, wasn't it? That 2008, one? it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, would you ever would you ever go back to a non-fiction book what if you did what would you do what would you think about well I've, I've, i'm just finishing a non-fiction book now you are the hero that's non-fiction history yeah. of fancy game books um, yeah 
the definitive guide. Ah, I suppose, yeah. Do a right, yeah. Non-fiction book in the next couple of years, but I don't want to mention that just yet in case. But yes, I mean, I have interest in all sorts of things. One of the things I like about being a writer is part of having the different projects is the chopping and changing. It keeps it fresh. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you're finishing one project, you are looking forward to the next one. But then equally, it means that you never have writer's block because if something isn't going well, you just put that one to one side and do something else. And it's like a palate cleanser. It's like when I was when I used to write novels about 10 years ago, I'd really like to write a short story afterwards because you spend so many months writing the novel and rewriting it to then do something which can be finished in a couple of weeks just felt really satisfying. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, like, we talk about like, how game books have been around for 40 plus years, but I think what people fail to appreciate is that game books were many people's gateway into gaming yeah. and role-playing games. And like when I was like uh, doing interviews for that chap- the chapter I wrote on the on role playing on role playing games uh, and the Satanic Panic and the history of them for Deviant Ledger, it uh, quite a few people saying yeah it was even before D and D it was the game book it was fighting fantasy, and that came about just through pure word of mouth that people on the playground were playing these books. Yeah, they, had, um, they, they didn't do a massive print run to begin with, and then they reprinted it so many times in the first year. And that was when Puffin went back and said, look, could we make this a series? And that's when they started writing them individually. Um, yeah, just I, just, I just remember, like, it's, and I don't remember like a lot about, um, you know, when, when I'm very young, and I've got to, it's going to be easily, when was this going to be? I would have been 10, 10 years old, possibly. I, th- I want to say nine or ten years old, and I just remember you used to have like this book fair in school, and you could go into the the assembly hall, and they had all these books sort of kind of set out, and you could sort of kind of put your orders down. And I remember seeing um, Death Trap Dungeon. I was seeing this book with this this horrendous looking sort of kind of like slug creature with its sort of tongue, sort of kind of what's the the, yeah, the big thing yeah. coming out, and just automatically go. That is the coolest thing. That like everything else was all like kids books and sort of like you know not, and then there was just just like this this and I, was, I had no idea what it was i was just like that's cool uh, and i want that so put my name down for it and i remember exactly i was to put you in there there matt it's like what you said about the cover it's exactly point on i mean as i understand it um probably like the publishers was then they wanted like a typical 70s 80s fantasy you know no, a pixie or fairy on a pumpkin, and Ian Limston and uh, Steve Jackson. Thank you. <laughs> My mind just went blank for a second. Steve yeah. Jackson went, No, we want you know a monster looking at the viewpoint going to kill you. Yeah, something hideous and monstrous, and which is utterly and because that was so different, yeah, it stood out. And I think, as I said, they barely had any advertising or any promotion. And I mean, this is like pre internet, and all the promotion they had was pure word of mouth. And at one point, they had the top three books, yeah, in the bestseller list, yeah, no kind of advertising, no promotion, just children. Yep. Yeah. in the playground and share with their friends share with their family share with the, everyone and just exploding and readers of White Dwarf magazine as well yeah yes. yeah 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 um, but like I 
Like I had, uh, I'm trying to think. What, what, what year did that come out? When did Death Trap Dungeon come out? What year 19... was that? Was 1984 because it's the 40th anniversary for that one next year. Yeah. Oh. So okay. So I, I definitely didn't get it when I was. I was like, I was born in '81, so I definitely didn't get it when I was three. But I, I, I it would have been, <laughs> it would have been right when I was eight or eight or nine years old um, that it came out, and I think. Um, like Games Workshop was obviously starting off in and around then, and I and, and obviously Dungeons and Dragons, but I just remember seeing this book and having no idea what it was, thinking I was going to take it home and I could just read it normally, and then realizing that it was something I could partake in, and I just yeah. being like completely just like, oh my god, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen, and then sort of kind of finding out um, about D and D, and then my dad one day came up, came back from. Um, uh, I think he'd been in England, but he came back with this book called Rogue Trader. And I was like, what the hell is this? And then I was like, you know, Space Marines. And I had all the, uh, the D&D. And I was just like, my love affair. And it all sort of kind of stemmed from my me showing interest in this single book. And then sort of kind of them kind of, well, he kind of likes the fantasy side of thing. And then sort of coming off and giving me these things like D&D and um, obviously Warhammer. When you mentioned about reading the book or picking up and reading, realizing it wasn't a conventional book, my gran was the first member of my family to read my very first fighting fantasy game book, Spellbreaker. And she got to the end and she said, I didn't really understand it. And she'd read it from cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I explained that and they meant to turn to the different pages. She's like, oh, okay. I just but remembered. That was, that was so lovely of her. She <laughs> stuck to it. <laughs> She's like, I'll be nice to him. I'll, I'll not tell him it, it makes no cohesive yeah. sense. And, you know, it's well written. It's just not, you know, <laughs> it's not my thing. Yeah. But I just remembered I just falling into a pit trap. Like one of my first, my first deaths was sort of like, I just remember sort of like turning a page after making a bad decision and ending up in a pit trap or something. And I was like, ah, God damn it. And I, I, very, I very fondly remember that, that death moment. I don't know why, but it's, it's stuck there. I think there was a yeah, picture remember, of a trap as well. I remember, I remember my first experience was like, was uh, like say, City of Thieves. And I like, I met a friend on holiday, one in Spain or somewhere, and he shared this book with me. And I, okay, so I started reading it, and I got to the uh, like this. I had no experience with game book up until then, so I must be like my stage about eight or nine, possibly ten. I, thought, I don't know what to do. Maybe I got to got the first decision. What do I do? It's all oh, just to go, go to that, like go to that chapter, do that. Like, okay, so I went to that one, so I started reading a bit more. Like, it's another, what do you mean I've got to make another decision? Like, so like what do I do? Like, you make your own decision. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so, so five finger bookmarks it became. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A classic. Yeah. And I mean, how game books evolved since then? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, you've got various different series. For example, um, Destiny Quest which uh, Michael J. Ward has got, um, he's launching on Kickstarter in October, Destiny Quest Raiders, which is a, an evolution again. But when he wrote this, it was capturing the kind of feel of um, games like World of Warcraft as mm. a game book. So where you can level up characters and you can, um, you know, by the different abilities and items, you can effectively tailor make your own character. And then having different quests, you can try at different levels, which so it gives you the freedom of... Um, an open world map. I'm trying to find uh, several in the book, and I know I'm going to find one. But anyway, and they have different 
uh, icons on them and you can depend on the, the level, the difficulty level. So certain people like him have certainly tried to to give them uh, a fresh feel and change things. It's not always the same two dice rolling, which I admit mine are mostly and <laughs> lots of people are because it's fighting I mean, fancy. Steve Jackson kind of really experimented with his game books. I mean, yeah. um, he wrote uh, Starship Traveller, which is kind of very, very, did he write Starship Traveller? He did, yeah. Yeah. He, he never liked that... repeating himself. So he did, once yeah. they were writing by themselves, he did Citadel of Chaos, which is a classic um, fancy adventure, but in a castle rather yeah. than being a dungeon this time. Then he did Starship Traveller, which is science fiction. He wrote House of Hell, which is contemporary horror. Yeah. Um, Appointment uh, with, with Fear, which is Golden Age superheroes. Yeah. Creature of Havoc, where you are the monster. Um, yeah, the Sorcery Epic, which is using the magic system, having to learn the spells and having an adventure span across four books. Did he also write Robot Commando? And, no, uh, that was US Steve Jackson. So, right, because, yeah. So Steve Jackson and, and, and that's brought in mechs as well. Yes, so, and I think uh, Robert is pretty open world as well, and you have multiple paths to victory. But he wrote um, Scorpion Swamp and Demons of the Deep as well. They were both the, the US Steve. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, I think, another kind of vehicle-based one was um, Highway Warrior. Um, Freeway Fighter is the Freeway Fighter, answer. sorry. I yes. think... Highway Warrior might be Joe Diva's take on that. I yeah. can't remember the name of the series, but there were about, I think it was four that Joe Diva did, um, which were similar kind of Mag, Mad, Mad Max vibe, that's what I'm trying to say, yes. Yeah, yeah, like, they had, like, you had, like, one sets for yourself, one sets for the car, and... Yeah, in fighting, in Freeway Fighter, it's the Dodge Interceptor, that's uh, an Ian Livingstone book, and mm. when they, when well, I say they, I was involved partly, but when there was the uh, comic based on that, one of the variant covers for issue one was the adventure sheet from the game book, which has the car with its missiles and tires oh, nice. and things. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. And yeah, I recognise actually the artwork from um, Freeway Fighter, because I think it was from Dark Future originally, or vice versa. Was, the first one, um, I think, was an original painting by Jim Burns. And then when yeah. Wizard Book published it in the noughties, they had a different cover painting by Jim Burns, but it was used on battle cars. That's my one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that one to hand, but yeah. I've got it upstairs. It's in one of the kids' rooms, and I'm not going to disturb them just because I get something thrown at me. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but like I say, like the, the system, like just despite its simplicity, is incredibly flexible. Or because of its simplicity, is incredibly yeah. flexible. Yeah. I mean, in terms of evolving. People are always adding new rules or time tracks or things. One of the things I've tried to do with uh, most of my Ace game books is you can play as more than one character in many of them, and the story will change according to which character you are. Um, and I've also, for the first time with uh, Dracula, Curse of the Vampire, you can change character during the story. And what, what one character's done will have an impact on what other characters experience as a result. So although if, so for example, you can play as John Seward, um, Jonathan Harker and Mina Murray and if you play as all three it's uh, potentially easier to complete except that Dracula is more likely to get more powerful than if you just played as one yeah and I have a habit of having you can play as the bad guy as well so you can play as Dracula in that one and try and defeat the vampire hunters in Wicked Wizard uh, yeah Wicked Wizard of Oz you can play as the Wicked Witch of the West in Neverland, you can play as Captain Hook. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. You say that, and 
incredibly offhand, but the fact that when I was thinking about it and the complexity that must require and the flexibility of the system and maintaining the game balance and maintaining narrative flow is well, that, that's mind-blowing. Why is that big. Hence why you've got like a three-inch <laughs> thick. But when I finished writing the Vampire Hunter stories, I think it was about 800 sections. So then there's 200 that are dedicated purely to Dracula's story. You okay. can't change characters. If you choose to play Dracula, you are Dracula all the way through. You can't yeah. chop change. Okay. And well, like, where do you go from here? I mean, like you have kind of almost established yourself as the the um, the game book guy or the game book writer. Well, I've got various projects that people have asked me to do. So it's, um, I've got, like I say, there's the Arkham Horror game book I'm working on next. Um, I've got more Ace game books I want to do. I've got a massive list. I mean, I've got several plotted out in quite a lot of detail. For some reason, around uh, the year before the pandemic, I seem to plot several, and I still haven't written them all yet. So <laughs> I don't know how many. I'm always, I, I, I'm always torn because I like to share the ideas, I guess, because I'm vain. But I don't want to give anything away because we might write it before I have the chance to. But as, I, as I've said already, the next one's going to be called Shakespeare versus Cthulhu. And there was um, a short story anthology, which I actually crowdfunded and edited about seven years ago, which was Shakespeare versus Cthulhu. But this yes. is, is my game book take. So it's, it's not an adaptation of the short story anthology. It's a new story. Well, I say it's new, but in that one, you are William Shakespeare. So. <laughs> What bit, actually, one bit popped in mind is, I mean, Tin Man Games did, is it Tin Man Games that did the fighting fantasy app? Have yes. you ever been tempted to kind of turn, adapt your game books into an app? Yes. Um, there was one company which were developing the first on Alice as a game book app, and it unfortunately came to naught. Um, okay. But I've been in touch with another company, but they're pretty busy at the moment. So we're sort of scheduled a discussion for early next year, but we'll see. But oh, yes, really? if anybody's listening to this and would like to turn my game books into apps, um, there's the possibility that we, there might be an audio version in one of them. But again, I don't want to sort of jinx things. So. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like, I almost feel like, though, given the size of the screen and that each section is actually not a full length of text, but just a section yeah. of text, it feels a natural fit for a handheld device. Yeah. I mean, one of the nice things is they have my Ace Game Books have been published overseas. So Alice has got the most different language editions, but it's, um, I think it's about 11 different countries now have published one or more of my Ace Game Books, oh, nice. including oh, wow. Japan, Poland, um, Italy, Spain's coming soon because the book's finished. Uh, where else? Argentina, Bulgaria, Hungary, Czech Republic, Heidi. Brazil, France, huh. yeah. How do you quality control a different language that you don't speak? <laughs> That's a tricky one. Um, fortunately, the people I've been working with seem to have pretty good reputation and they've done a good job. What's really good is when they, uh, say my German publisher, the um, translator is amazing and he spotted a few mistakes. So some of the reprints of the English versions have included his correction. Because <laughs> uh, he's just so sharp-eyed and, and so meticulous. Oh, wow. Which is always nice to have that opportunity. So, but yeah, because I have heard horror stories of the past where certain game book series were translated and they weren't done particularly well. Um, but so far, touch wood, it seems to have been okay. Nice. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
Right. Well, um, we've been uh, nattering on for uh, an hour and a quarter. Um, we'll not subject you to the uh, the, the obligatory pop, um, pop quiz um, tonight. <laughs> um, but um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, really looking forward to uh, seeing what you've got going on next. And we will, we will no doubt see you at UKGE next year. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> also, I think UK UK Games Expo this year. I was hoping to see Ian Lindon and pick up his copy of Dicemen, but he wasn't there on the Saturday and Sunday. He had to he had a family emergency. He had to respond to, unfortunately. So it's like an excuse. He just wanted to see you, Pete. That's what it is. Probably. That's probably <laughs> just as true. I've interviewed you so many times. He knows me. <laughs> um but yeah man it's been an absolute pleasure uh thanks very much for for joining us um well, moon knight is currently available um yeah so you can get it in the uk you can get it as an ebook or global ebook um and the paperback will be out in end of november awesome excellent right and if you're listening in the states it's out now so please do buy it and write a review <laughs> <laughs> right well uh much appreciated uh for me i've been matt gary with me has been peter allison good night everyone and our special guest jonathan green good night thank you cheers bye, bye.